I'm reading this for for the public. This is also for more drums. Uh, I just finished recording one for subscribers, uh, but I think I want to read one for the public as well. So I'm going to read the first chapter from War Drums, which was published in 2015. War Drums covers uh, the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore when James was living there, working there, and traveling on bus and on foot. So this is the first chapter. It's called 400 Years in the Cornfield. White Wednesday History, a Timeless Focal Point of Racial Disharmony, a Prologue to War Drums. Mondaman is a West Baltimore mall and shopping center with a deep history. The name is from an extinct American Indian dialect and means cornfield. Before all of you guilt-ridden, wussy white people get all misty-eyed over the extinction of the local natives, I would point out that the process was already well underway. When the Ark and the Dove arrived in 1637, the Iroquois Indians of the Pennsylvania region were driving the Chesapeake Bay Algonquin tribes to extinction. The locals were primarily peaceful and could not wait to throw themselves at the feet of the Europeans in hopes of protection. These natives eventually intermarried with free blacks and have accounted for a significant minority of red-bone blacks in the area, particularly along old waterfront communities. Fast forward 350 years to 1987, and the supermarket at Mondaman, run by a Hebrew concern and staffed by mostly Anglo-Gentiles, was in the middle of a black-on-black -black war zone. Employees were robbed, beaten, abducted, and raped by local blacks to the extent that the store shut down, and with no Korean family large enough to staff the facility, the store was not taken over by another outfit. Even the Stop, Shop, and Rob ghetto food store chain owned by a black man saw the crime at Mondaman location as prohibitive to running a business. And all through the 1990s, there was no supermarket at this location. Eventually, the company I worked for hired a lobbyist to bribe a senator for a tax break on breaking ground and making a deal with Baltimore City to provide uniformed, on-duty police protection paid for at the overtime rate by the retailer. Three employees I know well, Miss Ez, Butch, and the Mac Daddy, as well as Gorilla Wall Paul, made this their economic home. I recall Miss Ez telling me that she cried on opening day when elderly blacks from the neighborhood who had not had access to a supermarket in over a decade literally danced in the aisles and praised the Lord. Many of the stories in Harm City over the past five years have happened on the old Indian cornfield. Last week, however, topped the rest. When the cop and the manager were busy up front with the Tide Bandit, two at a time shoplifters load up entire carts with Tide for resale at bus stops and bars and make a break for it. To make matters worse, Tide is a money loser for retailers who make mere nickels on a $10 purchase. A man with a crowbar in his backpack crept back to the pharmacy which at this hour in the evening was locked down behind a rolling sheet metal door. He popped open the door, grabbed some Benadryl, and ran, making good with his escape, but was roundly criticized by customers and staff for not taking any narcotics. There is so much nar narcotics traffic in the neighborhood 
that record cash business is done after food stamps run out and 100 times the normal amount of garlic powder is sold per week as it is used to cut dope in order to throw off drug-sniffing dogs. If I managed this joint, I'd build a massive garlic powder display hung with sunglasses, fitted hats, triple X t-shirts, and prepaid phones. Come on, Mike, you want a bonus or what? Get imaginative and cater to your clientele. The next day, the manager was checking prices at the Target across the lot when he noticed the Tide Bandit and pointed him out to store security. While he was away, a drama was unfolding on the first day of free money. A 40-something ghetto mama was in line with her 20-something son and daughter. She was loudly screaming such things to her son as, Nigger, I'm not paying for your fried chicken with my card, and your ass better not be stealing it. After a few outbursts like this, the cop was ready. Sure enough, after the lady paid for her heaping cartload of free food, her son followed her out with a double armload of fried chicken boxes, about $30 worth of the ill-fated bird. The white cop blocked his way and said, May I see your receipt for that chicken? The black man said, Get out of my way. The white cop said, I need to see a receipt for that chicken. The black man said, I'm walking out with this chicken. The cop said, I will fucking tase the shit out of you. The black man repeated his claim to the right to free fried chicken, apparently secure in the fact that since Brother Jesse and Brother Al like fried chicken too, they will be sure to get him a big lawsuit against the cop when they come to town. He then tried to push past the cop who seized the chicken, which spilled all over the place as the black man cussed out the cop and went on his righteous way, assured of the support of the news, the DOJ, and the president. When the cop talked to Butch, he said, If I touched anything but the fried chicken, I'd lose my job and my pension. I've got two years left until retirement dealing with these animals, then I'm out. And so the cornfield remains as it did for the now extinct natives, a place where one cannot expect to earn his living or trade with his neighbors without some violent savage taking what is yours unless there is a white man with a gun to protect you. When the white man has had enough of protecting others... What then?